0: Hello and welcome to the Poet Prophetic Podcast. Here is the next instalment of the Gourmet Gospel, completing section 3. Enjoy! What would Jesus do? It's done! Yet our pious brethren ask, What would Jesus do as a means to guide us? What would Jesus do based on what he did? He would walk on water. He would bring three-day-old corpses to life. He would drive legions of demons into herds of pigs. He would overthrow fraudulent markets. And he would tell one of his dearest disciples, Get behind me, Satan. But what of the rest of us? Are we to match him deed for deed, miracle for miracle? Sure, he told us we would do even greater things than he, but if we should happen to fall short, must we flagellate ourselves with a sharp, unflinching, merciless rod of what would Jesus do? No, we do not have to do what Jesus did, nor what Jesus would do, because Jesus has done and is doing it all for us. And we are in Him. Meanwhile, we cannot, by any effort of our own, no matter how determined or persistent, reduce by one stain the righteousness He has freely given. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. THE GOSPEL OF IMMACULATE INTENTION When I was a teenager, I worked a Saturday job in a camera store. One afternoon, a boy and a girl about nine or ten years old, and obviously brother and sister, came in together, emptied all the coins from their pockets onto the counter, and asked to buy the cheapest camera in the store. I realised they must for some time have been saving all their pocket money, which, in combination could afford them a ticket into the miraculous world of photography. I longed then, as I long now, to give them the very best camera in the shop, one befitting the enormity of their effort rather than the sum of their monetary accumulation, one honouring a child's heavenly reach in dreams and the great significance of this event in their lives. God sees, and will ultimately reward, the quality of our intention and effort, however small the outcome may seem. As Potter Woodbury writes, The external difference between an act of faith and an act of sin would seem to be indistinguishable. Right things can be done for the wrong reason, and wrong things can be done for the right reason. The important thing is the reason, the inner subjective intention. This theme is also addressed by the renowned Christian author A. W. Tozer, 1897-1963. to Look at almost any Bible character who honestly tried to glorify God in his earthly walk. See how God winked at weakness and overlooked failures as he poured upon his servants grace and blessing untold. Let it be Abraham, Jacob, David, Daniel, Elijah, or whom you will, Honour followed honour, as harvest the seed. The man of God set his heart to exalt God above all. God accepted his intention as fact and acted accordingly. Not perfection, but holy intention made the difference. It's the same idea that Charles Dickens espouses when he writes of accepting the will for the deed. It also accounts for God's very different responses to the outwardly similar offerings that Cain and Abel made to him. Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. Cain's sacrifice was legalistic, a pretty shell, whereas Abel's was motivated by faith. With faith, it is impossible not to please God. Paul understood the contrast in his own transformation, telling us his pre-Damascus life was faultless with regard to legalistic righteousness, but garbage once he had found Christ. And if intention makes the difference in the quality of an action, the same may be said of its outcome. To quote the theologian Gurnall again, Perhaps you have just performed an act of obedience, and are returning home without those sheaves of comfort you are accustomed to gathering after working in the Father's fields. Do not feel, because of this, that something was wrong with the work you did. A Life Retold, Quote, Then shall our names be in their flowing cups, freshly remembered. Shakespeare, Henry V I remember vividly my last day at high school. I had been a pupil at City of London Freeman School in Ashtead, England, since the age of nine, and now at eighteen, I was closing one chapter of my life and looking ahead to the next at university. But I learned a lesson that day more important than anything I had been taught in the classroom, or for that matter, anything I was about to learn as an undergraduate. For out of the blue, during the final assembly of the entire school, the headmaster announced that I was to be awarded Colours for Swimming. Colours are awarded for outstanding achievement in sports – But I had only ever seen them go to boys for sports of highest prestige in that environment, rugby and cricket, so I was surprised. I mentioned this to the headmaster as I came up to receive the honour. As he began his reply, the applause was winding down so that all heard it. "'We want to show our appreciation for all the contributions you have made to the school.' Now, I had had my ups and downs at Freeman's, including fights with other pupils, conflicts with certain teachers, and a good number of detentions. But at the end of the day, this was how the school chose to remember me. There is a broader spiritual lesson here. Taking Credit In our status of sonship, each is empowered to Take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else, and may look forward to hearing praise from God. Our praises are our wages, to quote Shakespeare, and we are motivated by the kiss, not by the spur. Yet Christians often resist, with sugared piety they utter, Not my glory, Lord, but yours, or You must increase, I must decrease, and so on. When a master musician plays, he, the composer, and the instrument are glorified together. Similarly, God plays his music through us. And does not our admiration for exemplary humans glorify the Creator too, in whose image all are wonderfully made? Do we not applaud a person's lifetime of dedication to a thing that fans into flame the gift of God? I have few regrets in life. But one of the worst is the day I burned a box of memories, chiefly a record of my achievements at the aforementioned school, from athlete to artist to author. This fire was my sacrifice to God, my bid to put to death, my pride, or so I thought at the time. But on the contrary, it was a horrible and costly mistake, over which I later wept inconsolably. This self-inflicted wound reflected the staggering weight of condemnation I was carrying at the time, fostered and aggravated by the oppressions of church teaching. By the grace of God, a letter from Buckingham Palace, in which Queen Elizabeth II expressed her delight in a painting I made for her silver jubilee, was not in the box that day, and, like a burning brand snatched from the fire, escaped destruction. Later, As I was watching the movie Restoration, 1995, I realised the memories contained in that box will be restored to me in eternity. In one scene, Merivelle, played by Robert Downey Jr., tells Catherine, Meg Ryan, who has just lost her newborn baby, that there is in heaven a place called the Valley of Mar. There, the precious things we have lost in this life are kept for us. Heaven's Hagiography Quotes Surely then you will count my steps, but not keep track of my sin. Job fourteen, sixteen to seventeen All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Psalm one hundred and thirty nine sixteen Love covers over all wrongs proverbs 10:12 the bible mentions in several places that our achievements are set down for eternity that includes every act of kindness every prayer you have uttered on behalf of another every message of encouragement you have conveyed these things you did for me says the lord meanwhile our names are added to the illustrious list of heaven's heroes of faith, and only our inclusion in that list makes it complete. All we have done for the glory of God, all that we have created by his inspiration, is eternally remembered. There is a great record of your life, something like the best of, perhaps a thrilling documentary showing the finest moments and the best takes of our lives, and In that divine memory, there is no record of wrongdoing, for God is love, and love keeps no record of wrongs. In accordance with our justification, which may be understood as just as if I had never sinned, our way is made perfect. Heaven's biography of our life selectively forgets we are called holy and found righteous. This is an aspect of God's grace that echoes through Shakespeare's sonnet 112. Your love and pity doth the impression fill which vulgar scandal stamped upon my brow. For what care I who calls me well or ill? So you, O green my bad, my good, allow. To me, this sonnet reads like a prayer of gratitude. The key line for our purposes is, So you, O green my bad, my good allow. For that is how our story is compiled. Moreover, like Dante coming to the River Leith in his epic poem Purgatorio, our own memories shall be cleansed. On this side, it removes as it flows down all memory of sin. On that, it strengthens the memory of every good deed done. It is called Leith here you know e there and one must first drink this, and then the other, to feel its powers. Or perhaps with some episodes in our life, instead of forgetting, Heaven's biography casts them in a different light, as described by Oscar Wilde, eighteen fifty four to nineteen hundred. The moment of repentance is the moment of initiation. More than that, It is the means by which one alters one's past. Christ, had he been asked, would have said, I feel quite certain about it, that the moment the prodigal son fell on his knees and wept, he really made his having wasted his substance with harlots and then kept swine and hungered for the husks they ate, beautiful and holy instance in his life. Finally, though this has been a quote-heavy part of a quote-heavy book, I venture one last word of this section to Martin Luther. We are now, he says, in a spiritual dominion in which there is nothing so good and nothing so evil but that it shall work together for good to me. Holiness for Heathens Quotes If this man was able to create children like this, it's true that he is a good man. What do you think? A father's heart. God has a dad's heart. And with a dad who was not a believer, but who baptized his children and gave them this bravery, do you think God would be able to leave him far from himself? Pope Francis's answer to a boy named Emmanuel, who feared his deceased atheist father would not be in heaven, April 2018. And all must love the human form, In heathen, Turk, or Jew, Where mercy, love, and pity dwell, There God is dwelling too. William Blake Though Christ came into this world, Not to condemn it, but to save it, Yet would some brethren cast into the abyss Persons of different faith, or no faith at all, Some would exclude from eternal bliss those who do not attend church, in which case I, along with my literary hero John Milton, would be among the fallen, and some even insist that only members of their particular sect are among the elect. If only our effervescent evangelists would stop a moment to question their presumption of standing in God's place, or heed the Apostle's sanction against saying who will ascend to heaven or who descend below, then a lot of this nonsense would stop. If God wants all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, and wants it so much that, shepherd-like, he will search high and low for the one lost sheep, wouldn't it make sense that he would conceive of every possible means to include rather than exclude people? I know, I know, I know, Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through Him? Well, if Christ is the way, wouldn't He provide many ways to enter His way, so that He may fill His many mansions? And when His primary interest is the condition of a person's heart, wouldn't He have scant regard for the labels people assign to each other, or even to themselves in this world? Consider the judgment of the sheep and the goats. You may know how it goes. The sheep represent the righteous, who take up their eternal inheritance for, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. While the goats, shall we call them the leftus, are sent into the devil's bowels or some such place because, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. In other words, Simple kindness shown to a child of God is sufficient to receive eternal life oneself. Jesus had already spelt this out. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. You see, God loves his children so much that he pays a great deal of attention to how others treat us. We are a spiritual litmus paper in the world. Most of my dearest friends come not with the label Christian, but have something infinitely more valuable, the eternal seal of the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit flows through their acts of love, generosity, kindness, and courage. They are brothers and sisters in the royal line. God's imprint is in their souls, eternity written in their hearts. I bask in the warmth of God's presence around them. Karma. Yet there is a counterfeit idea among so-called heathens that calls for rejection. It's known as karma and holds that each person must enact enough good deeds in life to outweigh the bad ones and so ascend by degrees to something. This idea reduces life to some kind of spiritual banking system of credits and debits when in fact Christ has erased all debits and offers to all his infinite credits. Perhaps the fraudulence of the karma equation is best exposed mathematically. If R represents righteousness and S sin, adherents hope that R is greater than S. But in the Christian economy, Christ's one act of righteousness on the cross obliterates every sinful deed of every person in every age. His sacrifice, once for all, takes away sin. So, 1 times r is greater than infinity times s. But then the equation gets even better. God is love, and love keeps no record of wrongs. Thus, the right side of the equation is set to zero, meaning 1 times r is greater than zero times s, or 1 times r is greater than zero we can neither improve nor diminish Christ's resounding triumph, nor pay it back as if it were a loan at infinite interest. We cannot, by our own acts or our own blood, add one jot of weight to the left side of the equation, though God, in his goodness, still counts our steps, allowing our achievements to stand unclouded in eternal remembrance. In short, Christ has destroyed the monstrous karma deception which held so much of the world in bondage. You've been listening to my audiobook recording of The Gourmet Gospel, and I'll continue releasing the book in installments over the coming months. The ebook is currently free at most retailers and you can find the links to get your copy by going to my website, poetprophet.com, where profit spelt P-R-O-P-H-E-T. Until next week, this has been Abdiel Leroy.